the mercy of the weather. The fuel is is so rich, the fire is exploding as soon as the wind comes up. Crews make some progress on the Enkemi fire. How the wind could be the wild card. Tourism takes another hit. Smoke in the Okanagan is going to have a dampening effect on tourism. The wildfire impact on a sector still recovering from COVID and reopening roadblock. There's not a reason for either north or south to fear the other. Why you won't be able to make a run for the border just yet. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The Incomeep Creek wildfire near Oliver and Asuyas in the South Okanagan is still roughly 2,000 hectares, but it's burning uphill and away from homes, vineyards, and recreational properties. Residents and tourists in the area are still on edge as any major wind shift could quickly lead to more evacuations. Our Paul Johnson is live near the front line of that firefight. What's the situation looking like now, Paul? Well, Sophie, I want to show you, this really illustrates where we're at right now, that mountainside there. That has been the subject for the past couple of hours of a helicopter attack by two choppers that were hauling water up there and dumping it there. They made a lot of headway. But just in the past few minutes here, you can see flames have erupted. And this is really the pattern of this fire. You've got clusters of open flame and smoldering brush and trees from here in Soyuz, clear all the way to Oliver. A chopper working the Incomeep fire Wednesday, which has lit up a strip of mountainside roughly 30 kilometers long, from Asuyus in the south to Oliver in the north. It's the heart of BC's scenic wine country, under a massive plume of smoke for much of the past couple of days. When the fires were happening, we didn't like what we saw on Monday night. These campers bailed out of their long-booked site just before the evacuation order came. A parking lot in Asuyus is a poor substitute, but they're making do. Plus, there's plenty of action. We set up lawn chairs behind the motorhome, and we sat there and we got some food and stuff, and we're watching all the fires on, on the mountain here. It's been pretty That's exciting right. to watch. Up the road in Oliver, they're also living under menacing pillars of smoke. A handful of properties in the eastern part of town are on evacuation alert. Part of hundreds in the area where people have been told to prepare to leave on a moment's notice. More than 600 others have already been ordered out. And officials gave this stern warning Wednesday to those who would defy them. Anyone who's in an evacuation order area should not be there. Uh, we've had numerous instances over uh, numerous fires in our region where evacuation orders have been issued and uh, residents have refused to leave. Everyone needs to understand that's a very dangerous situation. Not too long ago, a couple years ago, the fire came right down here on the west side of town. Oliver Mayor Martin Johansson was cautiously optimistic Wednesday, remembering recent fires that they've been able to handle, but not forgetting that everything can change with a big gust of wind. We're not out of the woods yet, and uh, we're, we're sort of anticipating things will be okay, but we're concerned that things could change really quickly. Yeah, Paul, and the big concern is those high winds expected for that area. Yeah. Uh, what are the conditions like right now? 
you know, it's gotten a little bit more windy here. Uh, just in the past hour, we went from light breeze to moderate breeze here, I would say. It's still nothing like what we were getting this morning when it was really windy, though I suspect it might be gustier up at about 1,000 feet where you see that fire burning. But uh, for the firefighters, uh, the less wind, the better. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that. Paul Johnson reporting for us in Osoyoos tonight. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now for more on those very important weather concerns, Yvonne. Hot, dry and windy. The perfect or really not so perfect storm here. Absolutely. As Paul mentioned, some of those winds earlier today, we did have gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. And with the terrain, there's a bit of a split in the winds. For example, across the central and northern half, we've had more of a southwesterly flow. Areas towards Penticton and Osoyoos, we've had more of a northerly flow for the winds. The good news is a bit of a reprieve. It's still going to be breezy across the region, but late overnight leading in through the day, anticipating on the wind forecast that it'll weaken slightly in terms of the winds. We're still going to see local smoke across the region. The Smoky Skies Bulletin, that's for the Caribou, and extends all the way in towards the Colombian Kootenai. We have had some active weather, and that's along the northern half of the province. We're actually tracking some severe thunderstorms for that region. I'll have that coming up, and it continues to be very hot and dry. So we're on day 36 without precipitation across the south coast and counting. Pretty incredible. All right, thanks for that, Yvonne. Evacuation orders and alerts are also in place in and around Sycamus tonight, where a highway crash on Tuesday sparked another wildfire. Global's Megan Turcato is in Sycamus with more on the two-mile road fire and the battle to contain it. Megan. Yes, Sophie, the tourist community of Sycamus is where many people go to relax, but today many residents are on edge as the fire fight against the two-mile road fire continues south of town. We heard a lot about that, both from first responders as well as residents today. Aircraft laying a retardant line to help keep the two-mile road fire burning out of control south of Sycamus from moving towards the town core. We're throwing everything we can at this fire right now. They do not feel that they can put this fire out, but what they can do is control the fire so that it doesn't come towards Sycamus, and that's the key. Around 1,000 people living in the southern part of the community were given evacuation orders Tuesday, including Doug Evans, who's concerned for his house. Worried about the fire and about some of the people around. Uh, I'm really tempted to go back there and just hang out and make sure everything's okay. Most of the rest of the tourist town that has a population of roughly 2,700 people is on evacuation alert, meaning they should be ready to leave on short notice. So you're kind of on edge. You're you're sleeping in your bed and wondering if you're going to get that knock at the door. So that's where we're at. We're ready to go if necessary. The 400-hectare fire has grown quickly since it sparked Tuesday. No structures have burnt, and but I'll tell you what, was this fire close to them? Absolutely, like within, within 100 meters. In the current dry conditions, a cube van clipping a power pole was all it took to get the fire started. So as we arrived, there was uh, about 300 feet of flames coming off of the fencing and going up the hillside. Because it was on the top, had started on the top of a cliff, we weren't really able to do a whole lot of action. Uh, the first things were getting a hold of BC Wildfire Service. It could have been into the middle of our community within a heartbeat. Luckily for us, the wind was blowing to the south and it kind of contained it. And the BC Wildfire Services were absolutely incredible because within 
Within 20 minutes, they had helicopters on this particular fire. Wednesday, crews were working to reinforce guards and enhance structural protection, the fire moving away from Sycamuse. It's pretty aggressive. Uh, we're getting some pretty strong winds and they're anticipating as high as 50 kilometer an hour gusts. So that's very concerning to us. Uh, so far, the, the wind is going uh, away from the community of kind of pushing it up into the hillside and up the mountains where fire likes to go uphill. First responders and residents alike hoping Mother Nature continues to cooperate. We just got to hope that the wind doesn't shift and come up from the south because that, that could be some real trouble. Sycamus residents prepping for the worst and hoping for the best as the firefight continues. If viewers were wondering, the driver that was in the van that crashed sparking the fire originally was all right, although shaken up. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Megan Turcotta reporting for us tonight in Sycamus. Megan, thank you. A lot of resources have been deployed to battle the White Rock Lake fire, about 50 kilometers northeast of Merritt. That place saw significant growth overnight. It's currently estimated to be 7,400 hectares. That's the largest in the province right now. Crews are trying to establish and reinforce guard lines and to protect critical infrastructure. 19 firefighters, two helicopters, and more than 20 pieces of heavy equipment are currently battling the blaze with more ground crews expected to arrive over the next few days. Thompson Nicola Regional District has issued a number of evacuation orders and alerts for the area. And an evacuation order has now been issued for residents of the remote Kootenai community of Edgewood. The village, located on the west shore of Lower Arrow Lake, is now surrounded by fires. The Misham Creek fire is burning south of town and has consumed more than 27 square kilometers of forest. Residents say the only ways out of town via Highway 6 and the Needles Cable Ferry have been intermittently blocked by the out-of-control Kettle River and Octopus Creek fires. On all sides of us and the highway was closed. So in and out was closed all the way around us. And that was pretty scary for a moment, but then they did open up. They said they got it open for people to leave. They're not letting people in. So every day that we get these strong winds, um, we get actually embers landing in our yard. Our neighbors have had embers landing. 356 homes are covered under the evacuation order. Residents are being told to leave via Highway 6 West, which will be kept open for them. A small wildfire also continues to burn south of Squamish, although the district says it has made some progress in the area overnight. The Mill Creek fire is burning on the west side of House Sound, above the wood fiber LNG site. It's 0.2 hectares in size, and a six-person crew is on the scene. Smoke is visible in the Sea to Sky region as a result. Well, the B.C. government's declaration of a wildfire state of emergency is yet more bad news for B.C.'s hard-hit tourism sector. The industry has been trying to bounce back from the pandemic. But as Richard Zussman reports, there are fears the situation will prompt some people to change their summer travel plans. For more than a year, they have been patient. The last year and a half has probably been the most challenging situation we've ever experienced. There was optimism at places like Capilano Suspension Bridge, with Americans set to arrive in B.C. August 9th. But with fires burning hundreds of kilometres away, the bounce back could be short-lived. I've helped with our reception team this, this week, picking up uh, backup calls and people from around Canada are asking, is it smoky in Vancouver um, as they're planning their trip? 
When fires burn, when smoke drifts, and states of emergency are called, visitors leave. And this button here, that one there drops the return. <laughs> Premier John Horgan touring a water bomber in a fire center in Castlegar Wednesday, acutely aware of the damage the fires are having on more than one front. Obviously, uh, smoke in the Okanagan is going to have a, a dampening effect on tourism. Both the tourism sector and hotel sector are helping with evacuees, doing what it can to support those impacted by fire, will also try to survive themselves. We have winds picking up. These are all bad, bad, bad news uh, for the fire service and the personnel on the ground. And of course, it's going to have a profound impact on the economy as well. You check the roads, call the hotel where you have a reservation, and just confirm what, you know, know before you go. The strong message is if you're headed for vacation to an area with an evacuation alert or order, do not go. Instead, take your vacation someplace like Victoria, where there aren't the same fire concerns. It's a sense of despair. I mean, everybody was just waiting for the announcement on June 15th that we could go to phase three and we could reopen and welcome guests. And then... You know, everything went south from there. The tourism sector says it will need more financial help from the province, but with the fires producing so much uncertainty, it's unclear yet where the help is needed the most. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. On the heels of Canada's announcement that it will let fully vaccinated Americans back into this country in August, the Americans have now made their own border announcement, and it's not what you might have expected. Why the U.S. will keep its land crossings closed for at least another month, and reaction from both countries next on the News Hour. Dock diving dogs, the competitive sport you probably didn't know about and where you can take your pooch to try it out later. Also ahead, Love Hurts, the mystery couple whose kiss had quite an impact. Right now, though, let's take a look at today's COVID-19 numbers over the past 24 hours. We have 78 new cases and 729 active cases with 48 of those patients in hospital, 16 in the ICU. We have had no new deaths. And when it comes to vaccinations, 80.1% of those age 12 and older are now single dosed. 55.6% have had two doses. Well, that long-awaited cross-border shopping excursion to the U.S. will have to wait a little while longer now that the American government has extended its border closure to non-essential travel. As Tetranecki reports, B.C.'s Premier and Washington State's Governor are both talking about vaccination rates, but with differing opinions. Time to dust off the border and get it open, so say the Canadians. But inexplicably, the Americans tonight at midnight will extend closure of all crossings for another full month. Inexplicable because it's safer up here than down there. And Washington State Governor agrees, as he told residents in Point Roberts last week. Our uh, infection rate and our vaccination rates are close enough now that there's not a huge difference either north or south. When Canada announced double-vaccinated Americans could come north, U.S. border businesses were optimistic that Canadians would be coming south next. It affected our business a lot because Canadians would come over and get some product or get some ice cream, and it just all shut down. 
On or about July 16th, Canada surpassed the United States for those fully vaccinated. 51% in Canada, 49% in the United States. But Canada's full vaccination rate is shooting skyward, while the American line started to plateau two months ago. And now new cases and deaths are on the rise in the States. There are some more vaccinations in Canada than there is in the United States. And based on uh, my experience talking to people, looking at uh, opinion research, I, I rather doubt that people will be lining up in large numbers to travel south until they feel confident that the pandemic is well and truly behind us. BC's fully vaccinated rate of 48.7% of the total population is below that of Washington's 56.8%. But... There, anyone under 16 can't be vaccinated. Here, it's 12. So if you exclude those categories, B.C. and Washington are about even. And it's no contest. B.C. is much higher than Idaho's 37% and Montana's 43.9%. So for now, it's keep on trucking. Only essential service commercial vehicles can cross the 49th, and the rest of us stay put for at least another month. And given what's happening stateside, the Americans might just be doing all of us, the public and Canadian businesses, a huge favor. Ted Chernecki, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us with more now. Keith, the irony in this decision isn't lost on anyone. It has a lot of people scratching their heads, considering mm-hmm. what we heard from this side of the border earlier this week. Yeah, so again, I'm going to throw some more alarming statistics at you following Ted's story, the points he's making about the virus really surging down there. Big reason why they're really delaying the opening the border, because they're actually headed for a serious crisis in the United States. Take a look at the rapidly deteriorating COVID-19 situation south of the border. Just in the last week alone, 27,000 cases now a day. That's an increase of 35% in a week. 19,000 hospitalizations, an increase of 26%. More than 1,700 deaths a week, uh, increase to 25%. This is not as bad as the peak as it was back in January to April, but it is coming at a time when people are simply not getting vaccinated in the States. 98% of the deaths are people who aren't vaccinated in the States. 99% of the hospitalizations. The big problem is in the American South, places like Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, Louisiana. Uh, literally, uh, many people are going to die down there because they won't get vaccinated. And states that British Columbians like to travel to, California and Arizona, rank fourth and fifth respectively in the in the increased case count and hospitalizations. It's a dire situation in the states and that's why John Horgan today said he doesn't know anyone who wants to travel down there and looking at those statistics I can see why he's saying that. All right we'll see what happens August 9th and August 21st. Thanks for that Keith. A strike vote is underway for more than 8,000 Canada Border Service agents who may be in a position to walk off the job early next month. The national president of the Customs and Immigration Union says the results of the strike vote should be known by the end of day Friday. While many officers are deemed as essential workers, a strike could cause delays just as the federal government plans to reopen the border to fully vaccinated Americans August 9th. Border agents have been without a contract since 2018. They're calling for a remote work policy for non-uniformed members, more protection measures against harassment and discrimination, along with salary parity with other law enforcement workers. It could have an impact on operations in general. Our, our, our wish is that none of this have to happen at all. I mean, we've been trying really hard to, to come to an agreement and negotiate for three years. It's really sad that it comes to this. You know, our members have worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic. We've been at the borders. We've been screening every traveler coming in for illness. We've, we've done incredible work during what is probably 
the hardest time in a lot of people's work lives, right? Up next, you've heard of revenge dating. How about revenge spending? So revenge spending is the idea of really trying to make up for lost time. The urge to spend all the money you saved during COVID and why experts say you should resist that temptation. And later, candy caution, the cannabis edibles that landed five kids in hospital. Over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, where we just recently cleared an earlier stall and a crash at the south end. Traffic is starting to recover from Westminster Highway on the approach. Is buying a home still possible? CIBC Mortgage Advisors will show you how. With a plan unique to your ambition, they'll help find your home. CIBC Mortgages, ambitions made real. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. As COVID restrictions ease and we start to enjoy a more normal summer, a Canadian fintech company is warning consumers to be mindful of the potential surge in revenge spending, which could hurt your credit rating. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here with more on the trend and its dangers. And Thanks, Sophie. Revenge spending is the idea of trying to make up for lost time by purchasing things you couldn't buy or doing things you couldn't do during the pandemic. But too much indulging could impact your credit score. The risk is, though, if we overdo it and if we stretch our finances uh, you know, beyond the point that they, can, that they can handle and we start racking up significant levels of debt. Orwell, which offers free credit scores, studied average credit utilization rates and revolving debt balances for 20 Canadian cities, including four in B.C. The average credit utilization rate is how much of the credit you have available that you're actually using. For example, if you have a credit card with a $10,000 limit and you're spending half of that or $5,000, your utilization rate is 50%. Surrey tops the list with an average credit utilization rate of 41%. The city's average revolving credit balance is more than $12,500. Victoria's rate was just under 40%. Its balance, just over $11,500. Burnaby scored a 33.2% rate with a balance of $13,400, while Vancouver's rate was 32.6%. The average balance, just over $13,500. Your credit score can go down or start to go down as that credit limit utilization gets uh, beyond 30%. And if your credit score is going down, it means that it becomes harder to uh, get approved for other loans like a mortgage or uh, an auto loan in the future. What's most important is to be paying bills on time. So you wanna make sure that you're not behind on minimum payments on credit cards. Beyond that, I think you really wanna watch the credit limit utilization, the percentage of the available credit that you're using and you want to try to keep that low. And so you to, to do that, you know, we all need to watch our spending. Now, using 30% or less of your credit limit is recommended for maintaining a good credit score. Borowell's research, which studied credit report data from just under 1 million consumers, found the Canadian average was 43.5%. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Coming up. The tragic turn. And then Zach drifted too deep, like in a split second. And that's when he started calling for help for my dad. 
how a father died doing the only thing he could, save his son. Plus, reality TV star Kevin O'Leary takes the witness stand at his wife's trial. Good evening. It's finally two lanes northbound out of Delta towards the Massey Tunnel after delaying counterflow. Traffic is slow from the workshop on the approach. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Homicide investigators are collecting evidence after a body was found at the scene of a vehicle fire in Langley. Police cordoned off the scene at 197th Street and 82nd Avenue. Mounties say once the flames were extinguished, a body was discovered inside a burned red Ford F-150. Investigators are trying to figure out if this is linked to the lower mainland gang conflict. Police are asking anyone who might have information or dash cam footage to give them a call. Celebrity businessman Kevin O'Leary testified for the defense at the trial of his wife, Linda O'Leary, appearing virtually from Los Angeles. O'Leary said he didn't see his wife drink the night of the boat crash, nor did they know the gravity of the crash until hours later. I want a buck fifty royalty on it, and I'll take 5% equity in the company. Celebrity businessman and TV personality Kevin O'Leary is usually the one putting others in the hot seat. But today, appearing via Zoom from Los Angeles in a Perry Sound courtroom, it was Kevin O'Leary's turn as a witness for the defense at the trial for his wife, Linda O'Leary. O'Leary testified that the couple had driven by boat to a dinner party at around 7 p.m. on the night of August 24, 2019. And when asked if Linda was drinking at the party, O'Leary said she might have been, but could not recall seeing her drinking, telling the court that she knows when she's a designated driver, she has to be very careful. They were on the way back to the family cottage after 11 p.m., he says, traveling between 14 and 20 nautical miles per hour on what he called a beautiful calm night, but dark because there was no moon, O'Leary recalled. Quote, we went right into it. It was a huge surprise. I didn't see it until right before we hit it. I didn't know what we hit. When lawyer Brian Greenspan asked, did you see any lights before the collision? O'Leary replied, nothing. Absolutely nothing. You have to work very hard to make a boat that size be that dark. O'Leary testified it was chaos and did not know what had happened. He said he and his wife called out and asked if everyone is okay and said they got no response, which he thought was bizarre. He testified it took a while before the other boat, which was invisible, turned on its lights. And when it did, he says, it lit up like a Christmas tree. Kevin O'Leary says they drove back to the dock of his Lake Joseph cottage and only learned at around 2 a.m. from a police officer that one person had been killed and another seriously injured. 64-year-old Gary Poltash of Florida died that night. 48-year-old Susanna Brito of Uxbridge died in hospital days later. O'Leary also testified he did not remember hearing that his wife had given a breath sample to police, but recalled she had blown an alert. Linda O'Leary has pleaded not guilty to one count of careless operation of a vessel under the Canada Shipping Act. The trial continues. Anthony Robart, Global News. A B.C. family is mourning the loss of their father after the 53-year-old died while saving his son from drowning in a Fraser Valley lake. Grace Key has more on Anulf Salazar's final selfless act and the community effort to help the family he left behind.
we were just planning to go on a normal like picnic where there was a lake and because I know my little brother's like just playing in the water. 18-year-old Salve Salazar, along with her parents and 10-year-old twin brothers Zachary and Zedricks, headed out to Chehalis Lake on Saturday for a picnic with relatives. The twins are autistic and Zachary is nonverbal. It was after lunch and then we know we were just playing in the water and that's when I noticed Zach was like struggling to get up. Her father, 53-year-old Arnov Salazar, jumped into the lake with his brother. Hearing their screams for help, a bystander also went in. A few people went to jump in, so um, that's when they managed to get Zachary because my dad was like pushing. And then I think with a push, my dad fell too behind, and that's when like the current got him. The bystander got Zachary to safety, but Arnoff was underwater for 20 minutes before another stranger went in with a safety line pulling him out. They were in a remote area, but someone radioed for help. And then we had to like lay him down. And then after we got him, we were doing like constant CPR for a good hour and 30, where me and just a bunch of people were just like switching, switching, going out in and out. Emergency crews arrived, but her father never made it. The family isn't sure if Zachary fully understands what happened. We left around like four, so um, we had someone else drive the car, and my, my brother noticed that it wasn't my dad. So he was like pointing at the car seat, and he was like crying because he knew his dad wasn't driving. The family set up a GoFundMe page with a goal of $20,000 to help with funeral expenses and special needs for the twins. I want my dad to be known as a hero and have his legacy that he was such an amazing person and he was just gone too soon. Grace Key, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, Victoria Police are warning parents five children, all under the age of 10, accidentally ate cannabis-infused gummies. Officers were called to Victoria General Hospital after the children were admitted and discovered they had been at a barbecue when parents noticed they were acting rather oddly. The children told the parents they had found candy in a room and eaten it. Turns out they'd eaten a product called Stoner Patch Cannabis-Infused Gummies, which are packaged very similarly to a popular brand of regular candy. The children were not seriously hurt. Police are reminding parents to keep their cannabis products out of the reach of children. Just ahead, a Montreal couple who really fell for each other. We want to meet the couple that shattered our glass. Proof that love sometimes does hurt. Coming up. And later, the Whitecaps are coming home when you might be able to see them back at BC Place. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Breaking news now just before we get to Yvonne. Another sobering sign of just how dry conditions are in BC right now, even in Metro Vancouver. A ferocious fire this afternoon in bark mulch in the parking lot at the Willowbrook Mall in Langley. The wind fanned the flames, which spread quickly. Two people were slightly injured trying to put out the fire themselves. Five fire trucks and 17 firefighters responded and knocked it down, but not before at least two vehicles were damaged. Langley's fire chief says the cause isn't known yet, but is not ruling out a discarded cigarette. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell. If you're going to smoke, put your cigarette in water, 
in a can, just not in bark mulch. Absolutely, because it's been so dry right across the region. Uh, 36 days in countings without any precipitation across the south coast, and we're at high to extreme for the fire danger rating for all areas across the southern half of the province. We've had a few clouds in the mix through the day today. Uh, temperatures bumped up into the low 20s. A heads up overnight tonight, we'll have a few clouds once again, leading in towards the morning hours, but then it is going to clear out and warm up once again. 23 is the high with the humid X, it'll feel like 25 degrees. Now, the severe thunderstorm watch and warning has ended for the peace and across the central interior, but we're still seeing a line of thunderstorms. Big concern will be the lightning across the region, heavy downpours, gusty winds, and the potential still over the next few hours to see some hail developing as a result of these thunderstorms. We've had a reprieve for the fire danger rating for the northern half of the province, so it's all due to the um, due to the thunderstorms that have been across the region. But the Smoky Skies Bulletin is still extending in towards the Caribou, the Columbia and Kootenai, all areas along the Okanagan Valley, the Shushwap, all included within that. Well, we'll continue to see smoke, especially near the wildfires over the next 12 and 24 hours. Fire danger ratings, so there's the reminder, very dry. Please be very diligent, especially with those cigarette butts. We are looking at high to extreme for the southern half, and there's that reprieve from some of the wet weather that we've been tracking across the northern and central interior. Now, for the day tomorrow, we're going to still see a little bit of instability. A much calmer day, though. We'll still see a chance of showers for most areas. Central interior tomorrow bumping up to 17, but still very hot and dry. No reprieve yet across the southern interior and temperatures into the mid and upper 20s. One area across the south coast, it's the northern tip near Port Hardy. Could see a few isolated showers. A bit of cloud cover for retro Vancouver. It clears out. Temperatures tomorrow 23 with the Humidex feeling like 25. Hot and sunny so far leading in towards the weekend. This shot was captured from the Flatfire fire. This one from Emily and this was uh, taken from Mount Begbie. So incredible. All right. Thanks for that, uh, Yvonne. It's the kind of stuff memes are made of. A couple's makeout session was so passionate that they shattered a shop window. The owner of the window in question posted a picture of the smooch fest on social media. And as Global's Olivia O'Malley reports, it took off. Savvy barbershop co-owner Dave Le Chasseur has swept up a lot more than hair trimmings this week. Early Monday morning, police called to tell him that his shop had been broken into. I was pretty pissed, actually, because I was afraid that we got something stolen within the shop. One of the front window panes was completely shattered, but nothing inside had been taken. So a curious Le Chasseur started to comb through the security camera footage to find the culprit. So I was looking through the night, couldn't find what happened until I looked around 6 o'clock in the morning. At 6.49, the video shows a couple stumbling into the entranceway before going in for a rather earth-shattering kiss. We figured out that it was just a bunch of lovebirds that like went literally through our windows. We cracked up. We laughed so much about it. It was hilarious. The pair, who were most likely drunk in love, lay stunned amongst the broken window. They only take a second to pick off the shards of glass before running out of sight. The barbershop posted the blooper reel style video online with the caption, Love Hurts, in hopes of finding the couple. It's been watched over 25,000 times, but so far they have not had any luck. We want to meet the couple. 
that's shattered on glass and offer them a night at a hotel so that way they can go full circle on their night. The owners framed the shattered glass on their wall of souvenirs to commemorate the incident. One of the pieces even has a drop of dried blood on it. Le Chasseur just wants to make sure they're okay, even if they don't want to go public. It's an accident. I mean, it's at least, in worst case, it's cute, you know what I mean? It's two lovebirds. They shattered our glass. We have insurance to pay for it, and nothing bad happened. He says there are no hard feelings for the early morning walk-in, a tale that shatters most love stories. Olivia O'Malley, Global News, Montreal. Walk-ins accepted. A different kind of walk-in. Do you notice the guy, like, <laughs> uses his girlfriend to help himself up, but then doesn't help her out? There wasn't a lot of chivalry there. No, Not really. It's missing. <laughs> no, it was get out, <laughs> get away from the scene. All right, uh, the Caps are coming back. They are coming back. Uh, in fact, they get to come home next week. We are back to where, where our fans are waiting for us. Yes, they're coming home and they'll start training at their facility next Tuesday, but a home game, that won't happen until late August. And later, dogs making a splash at Pooch Pool School. All right, just before we get to Squire, more breaking wildfire news. An evacuation order is now in place for more than 100 properties being threatened by the Young Lake Fire. That fire is burning 35 kilometers southeast of 70 Mile House and is threatening structures and the safety of residents in Electoral Area E, Bonaparte Plateau. It includes 103 addressed properties. If you are one of them, if you live in that area, you are being advised to get out immediately. We'll keep you updated on the wildfire situation, of course, tonight on BC One and on Global News at 11 with Colleen. All right, Squire. Yes. Uh, Whitecaps fans will be very pleased with today's news. And the Whitecaps themselves are equally as happy that they finally get to come home. At least they can come home to practice and live. After their game in L.A. on Saturday, they'll pack up and head back here. They'll be back at the regular practice facility at UBC, where they haven't been working out since early last year on Tuesday. This doesn't mean they'll be able to play games at BC Place right away. That is still likely about a month away. I have exciting news for everyone. Uh, we are coming back home, finally. Uh, it feels like ever. So I think it's a little bit more than one year that we are back in BC Place, that we are back in Vancouver, that we are back in our home market. And we are back to where, where our fans are waiting for us. Last September was the last time the Vancouver Whitecaps played inside BC Place. Three matches against their Canadian MLS foes with no fans in the building before they were forced back on the road where Portland, Oregon, and then this year Sandy, Utah became their home away from home. As of right now, due to stadium logistics, it's still unknown when that first match in front of fans will be played, but late August is a safe bet. We can't, can't wait for that. It feels unreal, and uh, there are some emotions coming with that, and of course also a lot of work that we still have to do. The plan right now is for the Whitecaps to play their upcoming match against LAFC in California on the weekend. Sunday, they'll fly to Vancouver and then spend the week training at their facility. 
For some of the players, not only will it be their first time training out at UBC, it'll also be the first time they set foot in Vancouver. We have four players today in our uh, squad that have, every one of them has played more than 20 games for this club and have never been able to play in front of our fans. So what does it mean? I don't think I have to add something to that. Don't think for a second the Caps haven't missed those roars either. Same for being home sweet home. I can tell everyone I can't wait to be back in Olympic Village where I live. I have a nice view to uh, BC Place and to see in the evening the sun is going down, the lights are going on on BC Place and I see the stadium and I start to imagine how a home game with fans feels there. Not that Salt Lake City is not a nice place, but it's no Vancouver. <laughs> the uh, Seattle Kraken picked their first ever set of players today. They took Calgary defenseman Mark Giordano. That was expected. Edmonton defenseman Adam Larson. They decided against taking Carey Price in his big contract. That would not have been a good move for the Kraken. Not to diss Price, but they don't need a veteran goalie at that price right now. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog was passed on from Colorado. So was Vladimir Tarasenko of St. Louis. Among the guys they did pick who showed up for the party, Jordan Everly wearing the away Kraken uniforms. I don't mind those. The whites, although the logo is rather large. There's Chris Tanev's brother, Brandon Tanev, who is joining Seattle as well. That guy hits everything that moves. He'll be a fun player to watch down there. And Mark Giordano in the home jersey. And the Canuck, who is going down the I-5, is going to be Cole Lind. So they lose a right winger who only played seven games for them last season and didn't score a point. He uh, was a second-round choice of Vancouver in 2017 out of the Kelowna Rockets. Was a decent scorer in the minor leagues, but you kind of got the feeling the Canucks were losing interest in him. And uh, because he's going to Seattle, Braden Holtby is still a Canuck. Now, they didn't just announce the first group of players for the crack, and they also announced their first ever regular season game. And that announcement sounded like this. October 23rd is the day to put in your calendars. Who would you like the opponent to be? If you could choose, who would it be? <laughs> I think I heard, I think they're gonna like the answer. The first ever Kraken opponent here in Seattle with the building rocking will be the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> Natural geographic rival, it's about two and a half. The rivalry has already begun. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick is getting to be a big favorite of Hockey Canada. He was an assistant for the junior team this year and our world championship team, which won gold. He'll uh, be an assistant again for the world juniors coming up later this year and early next year. The head coach will be Dave Cameron of the Ottawa 67s, who uh, coached our juniors, I think, to a silver 10 years ago. This is Port Coquitlam's Jen Sally, and this was earlier today. Starting the Olympic softball tournament, she hit a home run as Canada beat Mexico by the score of 4 to nothing. Now, Canada's playing its second game already against the Americans. Whoops, we should have a score there, but I'll tell you the score. It's one nothing for the U.S. in the seventh inning. And in women's soccer, you know who scored for Canada. Christine Sinclair, we tied Japan 1-1. The opening ceremonies, of course, start on Friday. However... These tournament games have to get going early to fit it into the Olympic schedule. Gotcha. Okay, thank you, Squire. Up next, dogs, a diving board, and a pool. You'll want to see this. Near Nanaimo is quickly making a name for itself by being Vancouver Island's first facility to train students in a growing sport. As Kylie Stanton reports, the four-legged competitors are already lining up to practice.
Ready, set, go! They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But here, that's a little far-fetched. Sports enthusiasts that are doing this with their dogs um, will want to use this to practice and start different techniques to learn some better distances and measurements. Taking off down the 12-meter platform, launching into the 15-meter tank. Dogs of all shapes and sizes are now honing their skills at the Pooch Pool School, the first officially sanctioned dog diving facility on Vancouver Island. We've been kind of waiting for many, many years for, for somebody to do this. Um, and uh, so I just, you know, I decided what the heck, no one's done it yet, I might as well. Dock diving is gaining popularity both in Canada and the U.S. Competitors complete the takeoff, jumping into a pool to fetch a toy. It seems simple enough, but it's how high and how far they fly that counts, and that requires some serious training. With this facility here, it's going to add to our practice time and hopefully they'll get better. Dog owners are coming from all over Vancouver Island, even the mainland, to get in a session. Yay! But it's just as much for the top dogs as it is for the underdogs. Get it! The pool also offers aquatherapy for dogs recovering from injuries. Let her go! And for those who would rather sit through a fireworks show than dip a paw in water, swim lessons are available. She is afraid of the water a little bit. So trying to get her confidence back and I watched her go off the dock numerous times. So I was really happy with that. The next step is competing here. The first event is scheduled for late August, where the hope is every dog will have its day. It's the kind of sport where they, they kind of, everybody kind of works together and they're all encouraging each other. Howdy Stanton, Global News. New sport for you to cover, Squire. <laughs> I like it. I'm very impressed by that. I'll be even more impressed when they teach house cats to do the same thing. Oh, they'll be busy napping. Yeah, <laughs> they need their naps. Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, final word on the weather, Yvonne. Another warm one tomorrow. We'll have a few clouds just for the morning hours, but with the Humidex, it'll feel like 25 degrees. 36 days of dry weather and counting. We'll continue to see that, and it looks hot and sunny into the weekend so far. Don't <laughs> don't hold me, don't hold me, oh, anything against me for saying this, but man, I could use some rain right now. <laughs>